Hello, welcome to Off The Shelf Reviews. I'm not entirely sure who to call. And I'm Gary. And today we're going to review and discuss Ghostbusters, which came out in 1984. Written by Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and directed by Ivan Reitman. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows three scientists. Ian, why don't you give us the synopsis? Well, the story follows three scientists who have come up with the business prospect of capturing ghosts. As they start to develop the technology to help them capture these spirits, more and more of them start to appear in the city of New York. And we realize that something big is making its way here. Type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. So this really all started with Dan Aykroyd. Mm. And well, I guess his family. His his grandfather was a medium, a psychic, you know, an entrepreneur, one of those like scientists that really wanted to get you know, into af the afterlife, mysticism, spirits, the okay. beyond. Yeah. And so Dan Aykroyd was kind of brought up in that, that environment. But at the same time, he was also a comedian working with, you know, Saturday Night Live and, and doing various things. Yeah. And so he was like, well, how about I combine my history with what I love doing? And he wrote Ghostbusters. And of course, when they looked at it, they were like, this cannot be done at this time with any kind of budget. You need like $300 million. You know, yeah. it was set in like the year 2050, where there was Ghostbusters all over the world dealing with ghosts. And it was just like a day job. You know, it was like being a janitor, cleaning up ghosts. That was the idea for the original thing. But when they kept looking at it, they were like, this is unfeasible. It's undoable. Yeah, yeah. And so that they... So they went to Martha's Vineyard and literally just hacked away at the script over a couple of weeks yeah. to give us the script that we then have. And of course, then, you know, went into production. They had $30 million and just under a year to make the entire film. And they literally got this film finished right at the deadline. You know, the special effects were still being done yeah. as the film was being printed, you know, for final release in cinemas. That was how close they came. And of course, this film has like a massive, massive legacy. But it is fascinating going in and seeing all of the things that could have been. Like John Candy was almost cast at one point. Yeah, yeah. Um, Eddie Murphy was almost cast at one point. I think John Belushi as well. Was... John Belushi was, but unfortunately he he did pass away because yeah. he was you know long time collaborator with Dan Aykroyd after the Blues Brothers. Yeah, and, and everything else that they'd worked on together. So he kind of gets. He gets celebrated in this, and they said, like, Slimer eating the food is, <laughs> yes. is like him from Animal House. Yes, yeah. So they, they tried to copy his 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 brow, his, his expressions. <laughs> yeah. And that was the other thing about when they went to make this film, is that nothing on this scale had ever been done before. No. With a comedy, for a comedy movie to be such a, an expensive special effects movie, that was, it never been done before. And to be, understand why some people were just like... What is this? No. But those that were making it, they knew they had something special on the very first day of filming when they saw their cast in the Ghostbusters uniform. Yeah. They knew they had something special from the get-go. Cast in the Ghostbusters uniform. Yeah. They knew they had something special from the get-go. I mean, what is there to say about Ghostbusters that I don't think people have already said before? Like, I grew up in the era of Ghostbusters. I like I was born and then two years later the, the film came out. So by the time I was kind of old enough to understand what Ghostbusters was, everybody was celebrating it around me. You know, there was I don't can't remember when, but there was the animated TV show that just appeared. You know, we had the toys, we had the outfits, we were all get already getting ready for the sequel, which I think came out in '92. You know, so like as a kid, it was just there. Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters. And yet, weirdly enough, as I got older, I realised I shouldn't have been watching that film. You well, know, Ghostbusters it's... was intended for adults, but it yeah. had it had the same impact, doesn't it? It's like Robocop and Terminator, you know? Yeah, but... <laughs> like, they just had a mass appeal for kids and all had kids' toys. Yeah, well, that's it. But it's, it's also the parents at the time, you know, they were happy to put their kids in front of... TV shows and so when you're a kid and and all of a sudden you've got these scientists well three scientists and 
Winston Zedmore, you know, running around, capturing ghosts with these great technology. It's it's all about fun. And that's where obviously the companies must have got along with it and went, hey, we need to market this to kids. And that's where obviously the companies must have got along with it and went, hey, we need to market this to kids. We're gonna sell it through the children, all the toys. And they did, everybody did it back in the 80s, it's fine. Well, it's the fact that Ghostbusters is a franchise within its own movie. Mm. And you know, like they have their own t-shirts, they have their, their own logo, so you could easily see the merchandising, franchising rights you know, to sell themselves. It's just amazing that that would ever happen because like Gary said, if you look into the, the, the history of this movie, a lot of things could have easily just changed the outcome. Oh yeah. You know, if 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 if, if Belushi had worked with Ackroyd, you know, immediately off the offset, like the film wouldn't be about four guys, it would be just about two. You know, if they hadn't signed the right person to do the special effects, you know, we we could have terrible terrible effects like i was i was watching them in the film and i'm like this is just coming off the back of poltergeist sure you know you look at the spiritual stuff they did in poltergeist and somebody said look we're just going to apply that same thing to ghostbusters but we're going to just try to do it on a larger scale and the film starts off so brilliantly i, I i'm going to try to avoid of just gushing over everything in this movie. You can try. I, I can try. There's probably <laughs> there's probably somebody out there in the back somewhere going, oh, Ghostbusters is terrible. I don't like it. And that's fine. You can not like Ghostbusters if that's up to you. But I'm telling you right now, I love this fucking movie. <laughs> Listen. You smell something? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, this film was, was life to child me. You know, this was one of, if not my favorite film for the longest, longest time. Yes. Absolutely adore this film and its sequel. And of course, the real <laughs> Ghostbusters uh, cartoon. <coughs> Played the video games, collected the comic books, everything Ghostbusters, the toys, the works. Yeah. And I've always been incredibly engrossed in this film. And the moment this film starts with the New York Public Library, yes. the lion statues outside, the music inviting you in. It's kind of its kind of supernatural, but also very whimsical at the same time. The music I found with this movie, like, that's what thats what I'm talking about. They, they, they had everything just aligned, that, that, that orchestral kind of evil, foreboding noise. Absolutely, it's, it's uh, El, El kind of evil foreboding noise absolutely it's it's uh, El elmer bernstein right or bernstein who, who did the music for this film and it has to be said that it is one of cinema's greatest soundtracks like this soundtrack ties the whole film together yeah. so perfectly well it, it it really captures the playfulness the 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 silliness and also the seriousness and the bombastic yeah. orchestra and the brass when it comes in it is an, a phenomenal soundtrack well it's it's like when you when you mix it with the ca the camera work as well this opening sequence with this librarian she's walking around I, you know you you take a library which is a very quiet location anyway so you've got no talking you know, you've got no real interaction from this person. She she gets her stuff. She heads down into the basement, which you know you don't realize at first, but is quite a scary area to be in. It's like it's like a maze. Yeah, you know, you don't know what's behind the corner. Mixing the music with the camera work, it's like something is watching you, like something you're like you are the ghost watching this person. And I love the just watching the drawers come out. And the cards start flicking up, you know, and the books moving behind her, you know, just... Is that other ghosts or is that the same one? I don't know. The questions immediately come right from the start for me because when she makes her way around that corner... And yeah, well, we don't see anything. We just see this white light as the camera <laughs> goes into our face. And she starts screaming as the logo appears on the screen and you're just like, oh, man! Ray Parker Jr.'s theme tune, you know. <laughs> he had like two to three days to create that song. You know, he was just like, we'll pay you if you can deliver this song in three days. He was like, I'm on it. 
Oh, he delivered. He <laughs> delivered for the rest of his life. And that's what I mean. That music then cements. You're sat there like, this has got to be a comedy, well, right? Well, a small bit of trivia about the, the, the song. Yeah. Was that he was actually sued for plagiarism. Okay. Because he... Trivia about... The, the the song yeah. was that he was actually sued for plagiarism. Okay, because he he, he borrowed or riffed song. Yeah, was that he was actually sued for plagiarism. Okay, because he he, he borrowed or riffed another song, and so that he settled <laughs> out of court. But the thing is, like after that settlement, he ended up suing the person that sued him, and that was settled out of court. <laughs> Well, what's going on with the song? Who wrote it? Somebody, somebody wrote it. But uh, you know, the, I think it came from just the the uh, the success of the movie as well. You know, because everybody was singing it. Every all the kids wanted. It to was that it. year's number one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but this is where you start to notice as well, like certain things that I don't know if children should have been open to. Peter Venkman is doing a test with two students. He's trying to test the positive effects of mental telepathy. Yes. The positive effects of mental telepathy. Yeah. And he's using electrical electric shock therapy to. Well, it, it torture. It, this it, it, boy? It, it's based off an experiment where they got people to give electric shocks to other people. Yeah. And the test was how willing that person was on giving the electric shocks to another person because somebody told them to do it. Right. So this is just kind of a play on that. And of course, it's also our first introduction to a, one of our Ghostbusters. Yeah. And he doesn't paint a good picture of himself in the scene where he's deliberately electrocuting this dude. And deliberately letting the girl off so he can flirt with her. Is he sleeping with students? Well, he's definitely... Well, I think he is because somebody's written, written uh, Burning Hell Bankman in lipstick on his door. And yeah. I only thought about this when I was trying to review it was... Like, it's, it's a big joke back in the 80s that, you know, teachers were sleeping with their students. So, is Venkman... Sleeping with students. Yeah, um, it's, it's it's something I don't want really to think about too much because I like Peter. But... I do as well, but that I I think that's more for his character. Peter yeah. is the selfish, smart one, but he's not as smart as say Ray Stans, who comes running in now, being played by Dan Aykroyd, and obviously as say Ray Stans, who comes running in now, being played by Dan Aykroyd. And obviously, th this really works. The three of these characters really work along with Howard Ramis because of their time in Saturday Night Live, I believe. Yeah. Well, then also Howard Ramis and Bill Murray worked together on Stripes. On Stripes, yeah. So they all had this kind of, uh, you know, off-screen relationship. Well, they kind of decided, like, as a group, like, what the group dynamic was going to be. And, you know, like, the moment when, when Dan Aykroyd comes in, when Ray Stance comes in, he's just booming with positive energy. Yes, It's yeah. like, you're the heart of the group. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then we've got Harold Ramis. Like, you're the smart one. You're the one who doesn't smile. You're the brain yeah, of the yeah, group. Yeah, yeah, Right, right. Who's the mouthpiece? <laughs> it's you, Bill Murray. It's you. <laughs> and Bill Murray just fits it so well. Yes. You know, the, the whole interaction with the students has set them up that whatever they're doing is failing. And so that this new idea where they head to the library to study this ghost is, is you know, we know is the crux of the movie. You know, Venkman's got that gift of the gab. You know, he's already talking to the librarian like, back off, man. I must. What has that got to do with it? Back off, man. I'm a scientist. So there's another thing, like, in the original script, it was fuck off, man. But it was like, they kept toning it down just a little bit, just yeah. to make it so it was a little bit more child-friendly. Yeah, would, yeah, yeah, to, to ease us in. It was a little bit more child-friendly. Yeah, would, yeah, yeah, to, to ease us in, but also keep the adults in as well. Yes. The adults would watch it with their children and then be like, yeah, this is all fine. Um, when they head down into the basement, I... Love the whole build-up of everything spiritual. You know, when you've got the books all stacked like that. You know, you've got the slime, the ectoplasm. The first time I saw ectoplasm, oh my god, blew my mind. It's like ghosts leave goo everywhere? They do, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and a lot of this, like you said, must, must, be, must be really real. I haven't really properly delved into the spiritual side of things. There's so much into it. But at that point, Dan Aykroyd must have been saying like, look, this is what people believe. Yeah. So this is what we need in the film to get people Absolutely. To he brought in the real world science mm. into a fantasy movie. 
and because of the real world science and because of the tools that they're using look believable yeah they look practical you believe the world that these characters inhabit almost immediately uh, because it does feel similar to ours and what is exciting for like young me watching it was just like this is a job like people can go and be this <laughs> i want to go and hunt ghosts and it's like well you can see the legacy that this film has had on ghost catchers across the planet well i i, I think ghosts hide nowadays because of ghost well yeah I was say, is there any ghosts left do we, we catch them all <laughs> we call them all i mean i keep watching these ghost shows and there's no fucking ghost <laughs> man the special effects of this first ghost though just really paves the way of what we're going to get through the rest of the movie because they, they turn that corner. I, I Well, I've got to bring up Dan Aykroyd's lines. The of the line work in this movie is just top-notch. And you may not catch him at first, but that moment where he goes, Listen, do you smell that? Right. <laughs> it's just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> get that. Another great thing about this was that because the three of them knew that it was an, kind of an ensemble thing, yeah. they knew Bill Murray was the lead because he had starred. He was the star of other films. Yeah. So, like, he's going to be our front man. But at the same time, we're all comedians, and they all shared the jokes. So if they thought one character was getting too many jokes, they were yeah. like, how about that character says it? And they were all worked together to decide who would be the best character to deliver the best jokes. Yeah. And so it really does feel like someone, no one like gets the limelight the whole time. Well, this whole opening with the with the first ghost, where they're, they're not sure what to do. You know, Peter walks out there and has a little bit of a chat with her, but she just kind of shushes him off. And then, like you said, with the three of them, a little bit of a chat with her, but she just kind of shushes them off. And then, like you said, with the three of them there, you know, Ray, Ray doesn't know what to do. Egon's not sure what to do. They're in an unprecedented situation at this moment. And then when the three of them creep out and the music's building and you, you're you sat there and you're like, what are they going to do? They're just going to grab her? Do well, that's the real plan. arms go through them? Like, that's what you do. And then as soon as she... Do well, that's the real arms go through them like that's what you do and then as soon as she erupts into whatever that thing is and they escape oh my god it's just absolutely brilliant absolutely brilliant i mean i, I just love watching their reactions as they panically run down the corridor yeah. <laughs> just seeing how each one of them reacts to it but yeah, it was an awesome effect it's actually on screen for like two seconds yeah but it was an awesome transformation. I like I I know the behind the scenes, the puppeteers, they had so many ideas and yeah. designs and sculptures and and different ways that it transforms. And it's just like really scary ghost. Yes. And it's a good scare right at the beginning of the film to kind of set the tone. Even though when the ghost was come running out, they're kind of laughing. <laughs> it's like what was that? Well, we say they set the tone. I mean, I'm thinking about it. The film plays with it really well. Let's hit the serious note, bring it back down. Let's yes. hit the childish yes. note, let's bring it back up. We're just going to run this line that these three guys... And I think that's what makes this movie, maybe even this whole franchise, really work, is that it bases itself in what we consider to be the real world. And we would love these fantastical things to happen. But the film has to break the laws. You know, once they've realised that... They, they've they come to some ideas with Egon because Egon Spengler, you know, Harold Ramis' character, he's not just only smart, he's an absolute freaking genius. And the technology he comes up with to search for, find, and capture and entrap spirits, you know, he, they, they, they've got that whole idea of the PKE meter. I mean, the, 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 once you made toys of these things, my mind was just absolutely blown. So the PKE meter, you know, it senses the ghosts in the air. Yeah. You know, and so now they're going to need uh, a, like a backpack of some kind to be able to fire a proton blast around the ghost of some kind to be able to fire a proton blast around the ghost to some kind to be able to fire a proton blast around the ghost to in kind to be able to fire a proton blast around the ghost to encapture it. And then they're going to need a trap. Now, the traps encapture it. And then they're going to need a trap. Now, the traps... I don't even... Little me, 10-year-old me... I don't even... Little me, 10-year-old me, mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in. Me, 10-year-old me, mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in. Me, 10-year-old me, mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in. 10-year-old me, mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in. 10-year-old me, mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in.
Like, my mind was blown about how ghosts could enter in. Like, Dr. Hine was blown about how ghosts could enter in. Like, Dr. Hine was blown about how ghosts could enter in. Like, Dr. Who. You know, the thing is a lot bigger on the inside than it is yeah. on the outside. But having that on top of the adult stuff of them going to the bank and having to get three more of the adult stuff of them going to the bank and having to get three mortgages on Ray Sands' <laughs> house to be able to try to get the money and then be able to buy the firehouse house to be able to try to get the money and then be able to buy the firehouse and then be able to purchase the car. When they released the game on the Amstrad, I was really looking forward to capturing ghosts. When they actually told me I had to develop my bank fund to be able to purchase all the equipment so I could drive the Ecto-1 <laughs> and don't forget to buy fuel for the car so then I could go capture the ghosts, I... Blown. Mind blown. Starting a business is hard. <laughs> blown. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what this film is really about. It's about a startup business, you know? It's about people coming together and entrepreneurs, we're going to do this, you know? And it's a startup business, you know? It's about people coming together and entrepreneurs, we're going to do this, you know? And it's it's a messy job, but we're going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a, it's a cool montage watching them get into that firehouse. You know, Egon's like, this place should be condemned. <laughs> but Ray's just like, check out this pole! Have you seen it? Wait. This place is great. When can we move in? You gotta try this. This place is great. When can we move in? You gotta try this. Sigourney Weaver. What wow. is there to say that we haven't already said? Like maybe I could say it again. She's just oh, Dana Barrett. Like she was a childhood crush for me. Sigourney Weaver really, really wanted this part, and in the script, it wasn't really a substantial part. Right. Like, it's a character, but it doesn't have much character development or progression or m characteristics. Mm. But she was just like, look, it's a comedy film. I've seen who's in the film. I'm a comedian. All I've done is serious movies. Yeah. Let me do this comedy. And like, even though she doesn't... She doesn't necessarily have the comedic lines. She's with the comedians and she grounds it even more yeah. into a, a, another reality where she's believable with them and she brings them down um, because she carries herself so strongly on screen. Oh, totally. I mean, her back and forth with Peter Venkman's character. Yes, like we said, strongly on screen. Oh, totally. I mean, her back and forth with Peter Venkman's character. Yes. Like we said, it's been established at the start of the movie that he's a bit of a ladies' man. Maybe not a good ladies' man, but he attempts to be. And then when he goes after Sigourney Weaver's character and she is repelling him, but she can't keep him away at all times because she kind of needs him because there's a monster in her fridge. And like, it's such a simple sequence, but it really, really just cements the whole movie for a lot of fans is that egg sequence. Yeah. You know, watching the eggs burst out on the side, you know, we've all watched Exorcist and, you know, we've seen a lot of these ghost movies. Strange things happen. You know, with, with things. And when the eggs are cooking, she opens up the fridge and you see that monster go, Zool! You're like, what the fuck is that? She opens up the fridge and you see that monster go, Zool! You're like, what the fuck is that? She opens up the fridge and you see that monster go, Zool! You're like, what the fuck is that? You know? And you see that monster go, Zool! You're like, what the fuck is that? You know? Oh my God! <laughs> I mean, looking at it when you, like, freeze the image, you're just like... Yeah, it's a bit of a psychedelic mess on screen, but yeah, it's, it it works. But but it's meant to be, you know, to 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 show you something otherworldly. You know, we've already got the city of New York that looks scary and hellish. How can we, you know, go from that and New York that looks scary and hellish? How can we, you know, go from that? And when she's interacting with Peter, I I not only love her interactions with Peter because. Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of... I not only love her interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of... Not I not only love her interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. I love her interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. love her interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Her interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Interactions with Peter because... Like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Awesome with Peter because, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Awesome with Peter because, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Awesome makes Peter because, 
like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Also makes him because, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Also makes him because, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Also makes him because, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Also makes him, like I said, it brings Peter down a couple of notches. Also makes him, I don't know, maybe want to work harder to get the business up and running well, with Ray and Egon. So that they in, in film universe, yes, but also in real life, like Harold Ramis and Diana Gord both said that having Sigourney Weaver there, mm. it made Bill Murray go, oh shit, like there's a professional actor. And Sigourney Weaver there, mm. it made Bill Murray go, oh shit, like there's a professional actor <laughs> here. I, I need to up my game. Oh, yeah. And they were just like, professional actor here <laughs> I, I need to up my game oh, yeah. and they were just like he never could please Sigourney Weaver in terms of his yeah. and they were just like he never could please Sigourney Weaver in terms of his acting prowess yeah she, they all said that she run Sigourney Weaver in terms of his acting prowess yeah she, they all said that she run rings around him and he was doing his best to try and please her they all said that she run rings around him and he was doing his best to try and please her as an actor and so it, but it works for the characters yes. so much so that an actor and so it, but it works for the characters yes. so much so that you, you like the chemistry between the two of them even though you you still like he is a shady womanizing piece of shit yeah but, but you find out that he does have a heart you know yeah he, he might be cynical and and rough but he, he is a good person at the end of the day i i also love how they bring in Lu lewis tully as yes. well rick moran's yes. character he's the annoying you know love struck neighbor who is always just coming out at the right time to speak to scony weaver even though she's sneaking past there's a point where she's tiptoeing almost past he knows he knows he's watching for her and it 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 course he knows he knows he's watching for her and it 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 course he knows he knows he's watching for her and it 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 course me possibly yeah You've got Annie Potts uh, playing Janine Melnitz, um, you know, the receptionist for the Ghostbusters. Her character was firmly established in this movie and then was just kept around even more in all of the... Firmly established in this movie and then was just kept around even more in all of the cartoons and comics and then was just kept around even more in all of the cartoons and comics and books. That kept around even more in all of the cartoons and comics and books. That she jumped around even more in all of the cartoons and comics and books. That she just felt like a fifth Ghostbuster. She's essential. And, I mean, she's a, a southern girl. But yeah. she's putting on that New York accent. <laughs> Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> exactly. She's perfect for the role. It really, really is. Ghostbusters, what do you want? <laughs> exactly. She's perfect for the role it really really is and again she's another one that can stand toe to toe with them because yeah. she's not taking <laughs> any you gonna answer that quit better jobs than this shit <laughs> i i i've been watching this film like a lot you know there's a sequence that blew my mind there's a moment where um she sat at her desk and bill murray's just done that you know whole bug eye uh, sentence with her and it seems harsh, and then he completely apologizes straight after for it. And Egon climbs out from underneath the desk. And, like, there's this whole relationship build-up between uh, Janine and Egon that would play on for uh, most of the franchise. Well, to be fair, it was, like, there there was definitely a hint of a romantic... Uh, she it, fancies it, him, but he well, doesn't fancy well, her. Well, I mean, in the they, they filmed scenes where she gives him tokens for luck. You know, oh, there's lots yeah, of yeah. scenes filmed that was just cut from the film. Yeah. Or scenes in the script that they just decided, you know, we're going to cut this this love interest out. And then in the second one, it's completely gone. And, yeah. and she's moved on to, 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 to Lewis Tully. Yeah. And it's only because the, the, the animated series, the real Ghostbusters, came out in between movies. Yes, yeah. That, uh, that they continued to pursue the Egon-Janine sort of romance uh, on and off through that series. But then it was also you know, done away yeah, with. But there's that bit where he climbs out from underneath the table. Now, I always, when I was a kid, I was wondering what he was doing down there. And, she, you know, she says to, you, to him, do you read a lot? And he says, print is dead. But for a kid, I thought he said the printer is dead. And that he was down there trying to fix the printer. <laughs> and then when I got older and I realized print is dead, it's his, you know, his mentality of saying, no, I don't read. You know, the, you know, the written word is already established. It's, it's, 
the, going back and just re-listening to the script over this, the the interactions between every single character, Lewis, Dana, Peter, Ray, even when people just happen to come in and pop out, when they head to the first hotel, we got one! <laughs> they, they head to the first hotel and they're speaking to the hotel manager. And he's like, oh yeah, everybody knows about the 13th floor. We just don't discuss it. And it's like, Oh, so this happens all the time, right? Okay, you know, and then they meet the guy at the elevator and they're like, oh, there's a cockroach up on 13th. Bite your head off, man. You know? <laughs> I'll get the next one. Yeah. Just little joke after joke. It's them in the elevator and they're like, we've <laughs> yeah. got unlicensed nuclear reactors on our backs. We haven't tested them yet. Turn me on. Oh, man. And you, you as I, I realized when I was watching this film for like the, bazillionth time on HD DVD on my flat screen if you look really really carefully you know all of the special effects in this movie were you know practical effects that they had to apply um, so the backpacks are literally what cardboard plastic painted spray painted no they are heavy duty backpacks filled with batteries and wires and cables and weighed about 20 pounds and now Bill Murray miserable as <laughs> for most of the filming that he had to carry that backpack right okay well yeah but that... they did also make a rubber one right which is still painted and it still looks it but if you see them bump into something or if you see a ghost on his back yes yes like yes. When, when when Peter is slimed yes. you can tell that he's laying on a rubber Rubber backpack. That, that, wait, but that's just the genius of this movie. They've yes. got to, they've got to show us this backpack. It's got to have its lights. It's got to fire these, you know, ectoplasmic capturing laser beam proto. I what the fuck is it? I don't know. But the damage it fucking does. Like when he fires. That poor it. maid. <laughs> yeah. I say poor ah. maid because that poor maid had no idea that the trolley she was. Yeah. I say poor maid because that poor maid had no idea that the trolley she was wheeling out was packed with explosives. <laughs> so when she looks out going, what the hell are you doing? That was real. That's not in the script. That was just her going, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. What the hell are you doing? Yes. <laughs> it's... Oh, it's just amazing. You know, when they first see Slimer going down, and now, yeah, I, I don't know why I've never thought about it, but yeah, you can see John Belushi there, you yeah. know, and, and it's, you know, just Belushi just floating there. I, I did notice it this time where he was drinking in the ballroom. Yeah, and the wine and just the wine pours just right through him. Right yeah. through him. I, <laughs> just, it just amazed so many little details where somebody's in the film like, look, we need to add this to make it work. Yeah. And so after, like we said, Peter's sliming situation, it's one of the most iconic moments in in, in cinema. You you put it up there with the, you know, Janet Lee from fucking Psycho when her screaming, Bill Murray screaming as the Slimers. Janet Lee from fucking Psycho when her screaming, Bill Murray screaming as the Slimers. Don't move. It won't hurt you. Going at him. Ugly onion-headed thing. <laughs> I mean, the way they did the Slimer was fantastic because they had no idea how they were going to recreate it. Yeah. And they ended up just building this big rubber green luminescent, like, <laughs> potato that they called Onion Head. Like, he wasn't called Slimer until after the film came out. Yeah. Um, and they called Onion Head. Like, he wasn't called Slimer until after the film came out. Yeah. Um, and they called Onion Head. Like, he wasn't called Slimer until after the film came out. Yeah. Um, and they called Onion Head. Like, he wasn't called Slimer until after the film came out yeah um and it was obviously peter's line he slammed me which coined his the film came out yeah um and it was obviously peter's line he slammed me which coined his name yeah and uh, um, and it was obviously peter's line he slammed me which coined his name yeah and uh, and yeah the suit that they build him mean, is basically an actor wearing all black and oh. you know the top half of him is in the suit nice. wearing black sleeves and they've got like all of these other actors or all these other suits nice. wearing black sleeves and they've got like all of these other actors or all these other nice. wearing black sleeves and they've got like all of these other actors or all these other you know makeup people around him all wearing black so that they can all push and prod and pull the slimer ah. wearing black so that they can all push and prod and pull the slimer ah. wearing black 
so that they can all push and prod and pull the Slimer ah. rubber suit around so that he can torch or push and prod and pull the Slimer ah. rubber suit around so that he can torch and push and prod and pull the Slimer ah. rubber suit around so that he can torch and bounces Movie and magic. wobbles around is how magic. his mouth, you know, flaps so much. I was like, when you see the behind the scenes, you're just like, that's amazing how they did that and how it looks flaps so much. I was like, when you see the behind the scenes, you're just like, that's amazing how they did that and how it looks in the film. Yeah. Magic. They, they they chase Slimer into the ballroom. I love the whole ballroom situation. Yes. The, the destruction that they bring on How the How many uh, tablecloths have you removed from tables oh. thanks to Ghostbusters? For at least four. And everyone, I always go, the flowers are still standing. <laughs> and I love the way that once they finally do capture Slimer, you know, it's just iconic that he's the first one they capture. And they bring him outside and they're talking to the manager again about how much they're going to charge. You know, I love Harold Ramis's fingers as he's moving up trying to explain how much money they're going to... Like, like, is there a price? They've got the corner of the market now. They own this market. There no other... Go you could try and get other ghost companies to come up, but nobody has the technology. Right. You know, nobody's able to have the containment unit. Um, and... That's also another underlying kind of storyline that happens in the film, which is really subtle, but fits in really well with the Ghostbusters and their developing business. And the fits in really well with the Ghostbusters and their developing business. And the Dana Barrett, Gozer, you know, is the Walter Peck you know, kind of EPA Environmental Protection Agency kind of storyline. He's kind of like the real villain of the film. He, he is, he is. He's, he's pinnacle at one point. Because, yeah, he comes he comes into the Ghostbusters office and he has that... The I mean, this is what sets up the rivalry with, with, with Venkman straight away. Yeah. Is, is the slimy handshake. And the way he wipes his hand on his... With, with Venkman straight away yeah. is, is the slimy handshake. And the way he wipes his hand on his suit. <laughs> yeah. And the way he treats him. It's just like, you know, you got to use the magic word. <laughs> what is the magic word? Well, well, Venkman kind of knows that what they're kind of doing is illegal because they have unlicensed nuclear power accelerators on their backs and the containment unit downstairs is connected to another paranormal universe, I believe. Yeah, we just don't tell the government that. You get into trouble. You have to. I don't, <laughs> how are they even paying taxes? They've got to be trying to... I don't, I, I don't know. Is it, how are they even paying taxes? They've got to be trying to... I don't, I, I don't know. Is it... Adult me. They even paying taxes. They've got to be trying to. I don't. I. I don't know. Is it? Adult me really starts. Paying taxes. They've got to be trying to. I don't. I. I don't know. Is it? Adult me really starts to think then. But I. I do love the addition of Winston Zedmore. You know Ernie Hudson's character. Yeah. And reading into the notes about this, you know there were ideas of having Eddie Murphy come yeah. in as the four. Well, the in the original script, the it was the four Ghostbusters from the get go. Yeah. And when Eddie Murphy dropped out. The script was rewritten. Oh. And then when Ernie Hudson turned up and he was just like, wait a minute, where's, this isn't the same script I was hired for. Yeah. What happened? Half of the script of me is gone. And all his dialogue went to the other three. Oh. So he definitely had a rough... I mean, Ernie Hudson has said his first week on set was rough because he felt like he was being ostracized and outcast well yeah yeah especially yeah. it was like well eddie murphy you know denied the role because it wasn't a starring role so they're like well we'll minimize that role entirely then because when it wasn't a starring role so they're like well we'll minimize that role entirely then because when we don't a starring role so they're like well we'll minimize that role entirely then because when we don't have a star yeah um and it's such a shame because Winston Zeddemore is such an everyday blue collar working yeah, he man. He is, yeah. You know, and, and like, even his intro where he he lists his resume to Janine when he's being hired. Yeah, yeah. Even that's cut from the film where he was like, "I'm a construction worker. I'm a war veteran. I'm this and I'm that." And it's just like, it's, it's cut. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I suppose it was really quite difficult because without Eddie Murphy there, you would have still had to have filmed everything else. So. The film really kind of weirdly does work with just the three actors up to the point where Winston Zedmore turns up. But for me, yeah, like Gary says, you need this fourth character. and Because he's the one asking all the questions. Yes. Uh, Winston Zedmore's character, Ernie Hudson, I, I love just the way it's just like, yeah, you're hired. Here, here's a trap. Look, we're just going to explain to you. You put it in, you hit this button, it turns green, you take the trap out of. I'm like, I'm good. I'm Ernie <laughs> Hudson, guys. You know, I'm the everyday guy who just puts the pack on. And he, 
I, I don't believe Eddie Murphy. I'm glad in, in a way Eddie Murphy wasn't in the movie because, yeah, it would not have worked against the other three. Yeah. It's kind of like the Sigourney Weaver kind of thing again. I mean, I, 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 I don't know Ernie Hudson's massive film career before Ghostbusters, but he's an actor's actor. Yeah. You know, he can act. Bill Murray was more of a stand-up comedian, you know, and would just say jokes. Ernie Hudson has to obviously be serious in his roles. And there is that brilliant moment where him and Ray are driving in the car. Love they, that bit. They have been busy as fuck. You know, there have just been ghosts appearing all over the city that they've had to deal with. You know, they've, they're have they also still trying to deal with the Dana Barrett situation. Well, it, it's the big conversation that they have that's, you know, it's it's one it's the, the, one of the few times where the film addresses religion mm. and science. Yes. And the battle that's ensuing because, you know, they're into mysticism mm. and science. Yes. And the battle that's ensuing because, you know, they're into mysticism and occultism but not necessarily like heaven and hell and, and God and the devil. Yeah, yeah. But they're dealing with science to deal with the supernatural of the afterlife. So, it, and, and they're using science to do it, not not religion. And, and so there's this, this whole like other layer that's in the film that they kind of address like with the apocalypse that's impending. Yes. And, and, uh, and the implications of it. And it's not, like brought to the forefront of the movie, but that no. one conversation with the two of them in the car, yeah. I just thought that really helped sort of, again, just bring some kind of semblance of uh, uh, of what's going on to, 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 to layman's terms. Yeah, yeah. Well, you totally need that conversation because later on when you have the other religious aspects brought in, they're really more comedy roles. You know, you have the priest talking to the mayor and they're like, they're golf, golfing buddies. You know, you've got like, all different manners of religious people stood outside the, the, the you know Shendor's building Dana Barrett's building when the apocalypse is coming but they're only like a small group because obviously they couldn't afford too many extras having this tiny little conversation with Ernie Hudson and Ray, Ray Stans discussing about you know shit we're noticing a pattern here and that plays along uh, along nicely with Peter Venkman talking with Dana Barrett about, you know, how her building was constructed back in the fucking, what, 5th century. You know, it's it's got alloys of metal inside it that should never have been created. Sacrifices were committed on the rooftop. It, like I said, the movie has played this... Sacrifices were committed on the rooftop. It, like I said, the movie has played this... Sacrifices were committed on the rooftop. It, like I said, the movie has played this really nice... Oh, it's all fun and games, but no, look, murder is on the horizon. Well, it, it's the fact that this film goes to the next level where it becomes very H.P. Lovecraft. Mm. You know, it's these these elder gods that exist in other dimensions and other planes of existence that are now trying to get into our world. And as a result of that, all this supernatural stuff is happening to our world. And as a result of that, all this supernatural stuff is happening to our world. And as a result of that, all this supernatural stuff is happening yeah i was like that's amazing that all this supernatural stuff is happening yeah i was like that's amazing that's amazing all this supernatural stuff is happening yeah i was like that's amazing that's amazing supernatural stuff is happening yeah i was like that's amazing that's amazing and you have stuff is happening yeah i was like that's amazing that's amazing and you have the two hellhound happening yeah i was like that's amazing that's amazing and you have the two hellhound dogs on top of the that's amazing that's amazing and you have the two hellhound dogs on top of the roof of the building the terror hounds yeah and they hellhound dogs on top of the roof of the building the terror hounds yeah and they they become alive and active I mean, the the when I was a kid, when I saw Sigourney Weaver get, you know, when she comes into her apartment and she sits down in her chair and the chair erupts, terrified the fuck out of me because you, if she screams, she goes flying, terrified the fuck out of me because you, if she screams, she goes flying into that door and it just closes. It was poltergeist of me because you, if she screams, she goes flying into that door and it just closes. It was poltergeist all over again. Yeah. I'm like, screams, she goes flying into that door and it just closes. It was poltergeist all over again. Yeah. I'm like, Jesus, there's something got her. But then you get the comedy moment of Lewis Tully's. He's um, having a party. He's having a party. Again, this is a great moment of filmmaking where it's one... The whole party is one shot. Yeah. You follow Lewis through the entire party, through all the guests, all the way up until where he throws the, the coat into the into the wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. Right onto the dog. 
I mean, yeah, if you look at the effect of the dog, it's always sat down. The puppet, I think, is fantastic. Yes. I, I, in, in motion, it, it's looking awful today. It's 1984. I for, totally forgive it for... I totally forgive this movie for everything that it does because it at least was doing the best it could at the time. I would also say, though, considering how amazing... The, it could at the time. I would also say, though... Considering how amazing the could at the time. I would also say though, considering how amazing the could at the time. I would also say though, considering how amazing the effects at the time. I would also say though, considering how amazing the effects in this film hold up today, mm. that one doesn't hold up at all. It is appalling to look at. It was immediately distracting. Even if I, you're trying to forgive it, when you're looking at no, the screen, you no. can see. How much it doesn't fit because the, the lighting's wrong. It's got an outline. Yeah, it, the animation is fine. It's just not imposed into the film correctly or efficient. Is fine. It's just not imposed into the film correctly or efficiently. And that is because it's just not imposed into the film correctly or efficiently. And that is because it's not imposed into the film correctly or efficiently. And that is because imposed into the film correctly or efficiently and that is because they have imposed into the film correctly or efficiently and that is because they have imposed into the film correctly or efficiently and that is because they have run out of time yeah, yeah like they read it's, it's not their fault they want they knew it was bad they even said it was bad at the time but they're like we're out of time to do it but at the same time i i i don't i don't I don't care. I, I don't even forgive it. I don't even justify it because like the, the this movie's special effects is the best it could be. I also just want to point out that there is a scene in the film yeah. where Slimer is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah. I also just want to point out that there is a scene in the film yeah. where Slimer is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also just want to point out that there is a scene in the film yeah. where Slimer is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That there is a scene in the film yeah. where Slimer is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a scene in the film yeah. where Slimer is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a peanut spray painter is flying around the, the chandelier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a peanut spray painted green. The, the chandelier. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a peanut spray painted green. Yes, it is a peanut on a string. That is the level of some of the special effects in this uh, film and you wouldn't know it because it's got a blur on it. I, so. I, yeah, I love it. I, I love it. You know, we watched this thing. East Lewis into the... into. The, I love it. I, I love it. You know, we watched this thing. East Lewis into the... into the. I love it. I, I love it. You know, we watched this thing. East Lewis into the... into the um, Central Park and I love the, the joke that the rich people aren't going to help him yeah, at all. Yes. You know, they'll just carry on eating a eat meal. And he's possessed, and he is now uh, the key master, and Dana is now the gatekeeper, and the two of them. He's called there, and Dana is now the gatekeeper, and the two of them. He's called the. And Dana is now the gatekeeper, and the two of them. He's called the key master. Yeah, he gets locked out of his apartment like three times in this film. And it's the it's the fact as well of how those two get together because they've been avoiding all their sexual contact. Like he flirts with Sigourney Weaver, and when he get when she gets with him, it's just. <laughs> I love the fact that he gets picked up as well. And the first place the police take him to is Ghostbusters HQ, and you get that wonderful line where it's like picking up or drop him up, dropping off, dropping off HQ, and you get that wonderful line where it's like picking up or drop him up, dropping off, dropping off. You know? It's like you've got this routine now, this familiarity. <laughs> We just drop crazy people off to you and you test them. You know, and Egon starts to test him and realizes there's something otherworldly about him. And Peter's gone and seen Dana and definitely seen there's something otherworldly about her. Like, yes. <laughs> like how he managed to just fend her off, I don't know. He's strong. Well, that's the thing. That's where you that's where he proves that, you know, he's not 
he does have a heart. You yeah. Know, he, he does have a morality and he's not just going to like date rape her because she's been possessed. But he does have the comedy lines as well where he's just like, well, I think there's enough people inside you already. <laughs> yeah. Now here's another comedy lines as well where he's just like, well, I think there's enough people inside you already. <laughs> yeah. Now here's another comedy lines as well where he's just like, well, I think there's enough people inside you already. <laughs> yeah. Now here's another thing lines as well where he's just like, well, I think there's enough people inside you already. <laughs> yeah. Now here's another thing though where he's just like, well, I think there's enough people inside you already. <laughs> Yeah. Now here's another thing though that he's just like well, I think there's enough people inside you already. Yeah. Now here's another thing though that throws some more shade on, on Peter Venkman. Yeah. Is that he calls up Egon and he's like, Yeah, I just dosed her up with like three hundred cc's of Thorazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the known date rape drug of the eighties. Yeah. And so he just had that in his pocket while he was yeah. going on a date. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, dude, are you, remember my question at the beginning, if he was sleeping with students? I just like to think that he, he actually keeps a, he keeps a whole supply of various different drugs on him for various different encounters that he might come across. Of course, of course you do, of course you do. Oh, no. Doesn't just carry do around date rape drugs in his pocket. It's Peter Venkman, for God's sake. Oh, man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads... Oh, man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back... Oh man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back to. Oh man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back to. Oh man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back to the. Oh man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back to the. Oh man, it is, it's just brilliant. But he heads back to the HQ after putting her to sleep, and he comes across uh, William Afton again, uh, Walter Peck's character, who's come along with police. And they are going to shut down the containment unit. And it's such an amazing turning point of the movie. Like, the music has been brilliant up to this point. But I love this this kind of moment, the, you know, between the whole explosion, the alarm siren going off, the explosion of the roof coming off, ghosts just going everywhere, Dana blowing the top of our apartment, ghosts just going everywhere, Dana blowing the top of our apartment, you know, and... It's now also the like New York's interact apartment, you know, and the, it's now also the like New York's interact apartment, you know, and the, it's now also the like New York's interactions with all the different ghosts. Slimer's eating fucking hot dogs. Now also the like New York's interactions with all the different ghosts. Slimer's eating fucking hot dogs in the street. <laughs> There's a zombie fucking taxi driver. There's some phantom flying out of the subway. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's just it's, it's, all these different things and. You know, people have been up to this point not believing if the Ghostbusters were real. They're like, it's it's crazy that the movie mixes and matches it so well. Like, you have famous celebrities coming in doing interviews with the Ghostbusters, and you know, they could follow the Ghostbusters to their job and watch them capture ghosts, but people still don't believe that the ghosts are real. So then, this whole situation with the mayor. You know, and the mayor's there with the police chiefs and the fire chiefs and the school chiefs, and he's just like, look. Fucking the walls of the police station are bleeding. There was a fucking ghost talking to me last night for three hours. Uh, you know, what are you, What have you got to say to yourself, Walter Peck? And he tries to butt it off. You know, that it's all just a giant hallucination. But the, uh, you know, the fucking encroaching gozer is in the background. And so the Ghostbusters, like, they're given everything. Like, get your packs. Yeah. Get your van. Get over there and fucking see what you can deal with. And it's an awesome... Get your van. Get over there and fucking see what you can deal with. And it's an awesome moment watching... Get over there and fucking see what you can deal with. And it's an awesome moment watching the... the Get over there and fucking see what you can deal with. And it's an awesome moment watching the... the Slow over there and fucking see what you can deal with. And it's an awesome moment watching the, the slow drive of the Ecto-1. They've got police... And it's an awesome moment watching the, the slow drive of the Ecto-1. They've got police escorts. You know, everyone's cheering. Ghost drive of the Ecto-1. They've got police escorts. You know, everyone's cheering. Ghost the Ghostbusters! Ghostbusters! Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's our heroes. They're finally arrived. And they all arrive at the front of the building and they're like, we're ready to do this. 
yeah. then catastrophe strikes. It's like a minor. Yeah, that was scary as a kid. Yeah, like I mean, it's an awesome set as well. I mean, it is a set. Like mm. you, you, when you look at it, you're like, that looks like a New York street. Yeah, yeah. Complete is a set. Like mm. you, you, when you look at it, you're like, that looks like a New York street. Yeah, yeah. Complete set. Like so the only way to do it, so they could get you know the elevation of the ground. Seeing it the first time, it's yeah. like, what happened? Do they are they alive? And of course they all they all emerge triumphant as they get ready to lay alive. And of course they all they all emerge triumphant as they get ready to climb the. Of course they all they all emerge triumphant as they get ready to climb the hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of stairs. <laughs> I love that they're so cheering, they're so happy. Everyone's like, yeah. And then the music just immediately drops after, and they're all like, "What floor are we on? Jesus Christ! <laughs> We're on the teens, I think." <laughs> And they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. I think. <laughs> and they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Uh, I think. <laughs> and they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Um, <laughs> and they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Um, <laughs> and they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Um, and <laughs> and they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Um, and... And they, they make their way all the way up to that floor. Um, and Dana and uh, uh, Lewis had already gotten together. They'd, they, they've had sex or they've made out. You're not entirely sure. You don't see it, but there is some kind of sexual activity there. And then they head up onto the roof just as the Ghostbusters have come up to the room, found the secret stairway onto the roof. Just as the Ghostbusters have come up to the room, found the secret stairway onto the roof. Just as the Ghostbusters have come up to the room, found the secret stairway and made their way up onto the roof. And they open up the doorway to Gozer's realm. Now, Gozer is the god that they're trying to bring forward, but he... He does he take the form of the destructor, or is the destructor a completely different? I think Go, Go, Gozer takes the form of the destructor. Gozer, Gozer takes, is the destructor. Yeah. So then his aim now is to wipe out all life on the earth. Yeah, enslave them some way. I don't know. I mean, uh, he he's just coming into the world. He is he is coming into the world, and it's well, we do have like. Um, like one of Gozer's minions, who's you know the keymaster, yeah, yeah, explaining like the several other instances where Gozer has come into other worlds and what happened, and he's talking about one time he was a giant slore. Like, <laughs> What's a giant slore? <laughs> Don't know. Many roses in the belly of the slore, and that day I tell you. <laughs> it's like what? Like what? But that, but that was it. I was thinking this when I was reviewing it. Like, what was Gozer's big plan? You know, because like he opens up the door and he was just going to step out and just take over everything but the ghostbusters confront him her it um on the stairway and i have loved this line forever i use it all the time you have to there is just no other place you would ever use it and it's one of the greatest movie lines ever she says to him you know because they they're all trying to work out what they do and it calls back to the start of the movie where they're like they're all trying to work out what they do and it calls back to the start of the movie where they're like go get her ray and so ray goes up there and he delivers this really nice professional talk of going back to the nearest parallel universe and you know stopping her invasion and she says to him are you a god and he's like no and then she die and sends all four of them flying towards off the rooftop you know purple lightning shooting out of her fingers the crowd are going oh yeah like <laughs> Like, obviously, she could have wiped them out immediately. Maybe it was just a thought, but maybe she needed to power up. Maybe she isn't at her full strength. Maybe she's in her universe and not in ours yet. I don't know. Um, but when Winston turns around and goes, like, when somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. And that's it. From then on, I'm like, yes, I'm a god. Anybody ask? Yes, I am. Well, and then they decide that it's time to show this prehistoric bitch how they do things downtown. Yes. <laughs> and they, they hose her down with their proton packs and she vanishes. And like, oh, we done it. <laughs> and they, they hose her down with their proton packs and she vanishes. And like, oh, we done it. Scared her off. The actress playing Gozer was. Like, oh, we done it. Scared her off. The actress playing Gozer was. Like, oh, we done it. Scared her off. The actress playing Gozer was. 
I, I read in notes though that the the contact lenses she's playing Gozer was. I, I read in notes though that the the contact lenses she had were excruciating at the time. Yeah, it was like you Evil know, Dead level contact lenses. Lenses she had were excruciating at the time. Yeah, it was like you Evil know, Dead level contact were, lenses. They're were, horrible. They're made of glass. Yeah, just glass. Yeah, it was like Evil know, Dead level contact were, lenses. They're were, horrible. They're made of glass. Yeah, just glass. They, yeah, it was like Evil know, Dead level contact were, lenses. They're were, horrible. They're made of glass. Yeah, just glass. They put in the eyes, but the the short scenes is they're horrible. They're made of glass. Yeah, just glass. They put in the eyes, but. The, the short scenes that we do get just fast. Yeah, just glass that they put in the eyes. But the, the short scenes that we do get just firmly establish this. Oh. The, the short scenes that we do get just firmly establish this. Oh, this yeah. being. She you know. carries herself really well. She, I mean, she's definitely a dancer. She's a model of some kind. The way she gracefully moves. Yes. Uh, and the way that she looks. Yeah, they, it's, 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 it's an odd choice to go with, but it, it really works. Yeah. And you also remember her. And then she disappears, and I, I, I always wondered for years why. Oh, I get it! I get it! Oh, very cute. Whatever we think. They didn't. Why didn't take the form of J. Edgar Hoover? What? Well, <laughs> she says, like, choose the form of the destructor. And Venkman totally gets it and says, yeah. oh, yeah, if we think of J. Edgar Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover will come forth and destroy us. So immediately, as soon as he says J. Edgar Hoover, everybody <laughs> should be thinking of J. Edgar Hoover. And why it doesn't J. Edgar Hoover, everybody <laughs> should be thinking of J. Edgar Hoover. And why it doesn't take the form of J. Edgar Hoover and destroy, destroy everything. Why? And why it doesn't take the form of J. Edgar Hoover and destroy, destroy everything. One, obviously, they can't use it. Well, I mean, I guess he kind of... Likeness. I mean, would... maybe he said it, but he's not picturing it. I don't, I don't know. I don't know what the rules no, are. No, it's because I put it down to the fact that Ray was the one who interacted with her. Yeah. And because he was the one who interacted with her... It's she, his decision. It's yeah. only his decision. So because Peter's talking about J. Edgar Hoover, Ray's not thinking about that. He yeah. immediately thinks of... The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. He, he probably went to that immediately before he even mentioned J. Edgar. He was just like, oh, what's the, the most harmless thing? What's the, what's the one thing? It's the greatest fucking... Oh, man. I mean, it's thing. even it, it's oh. set up earlier in the film, like on Dana's kitchen, where she's got the yes. Stay Puft Marshmallows yeah, on the side. Yeah. And yeah, like we see the glimpse of... I mean, the, this thing is revealed to us like Robocop is, you know? Like we just see a glimpse of it as it's passing by. Mother pus bucket. Right. And then when you see him in his grandeur, he's just a giant marshmallow man sailor. 